From the Coin Podcast Network Studios in Portland, Oregon, this is Six Questions with Emily Burris and Ian Costello. Do you remember your uh, moments as a starving artist? <laughs> I was I was going to ask you about the the starving artist uh, story for for this week's podcast. I I don't know that I can ever say that I have truly felt like a starving artist. Um, I I definitely uh, at times was a broke college kid, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but I also you know I have to acknowledge that I I come from a place of privilege in my life, and and that um, my parents were able to you know send me to college and and afford a higher education and and largely support me in my first job in this industry because anyone who works in news and as a journalist will tell you entry level is not great <laughs> <laughs> to put it plainly if what we do as journalists is art and i think at its best it certainly can be yeah. um it's a form it's, it's storytelling a form of art. for it's sure storytelling yes I certainly was a starving artist those <laughs> those first those first couple of years as a out of college and as a professional. But uh, I, before all that, I was in a band, and we set out on the road trying to strike it rich, um, which we didn't. <laughs> there were some starving artist times in that. Uh, yeah. Sitting, we were sharing. The four of us were sharing a tiny two bedroom apartment oh in Austin, and that was when Austin was still not out of control expensive mm-hmm. each of us eating half a bologna sandwich and <laughs> half a package of ramen i was gonna ask when where was the ramen every meal um that's <laughs> what i was listening to the your interview i was laughing because i guess i could call myself a starving artist at that point in time even though we weren't producing very much art <laughs> because of the way we were living and the way we were eating but then i look back on it i was like well had plenty of money for equipment Plenty of money to go out on weekends and see other bands play. Sure. So maybe starving by choice artist. <laughs> right. I think a lot of people, though, can uh, can relate to at some point in their life, uh, you know, really feeling like they had to sacrifice for a passion, uh, whether it's financially, whether it's with time, you know, trying to moonlight in something that they truly want to do while grinding through a day job, you know, or, or working something to pay the bills so that they have the time to pursue something else. And then I think a lot of people can also relate to the tough decision sometimes to walk away from that dream, right? To feel like the real world gets pretty heavy and you make the decision, you know, I think I'm going to go, you know, go ahead with that nine to five and and I got to leave the leave the band days behind, yep. you know? Um, I, I think a lot of people at some point in their life have faced a situation like that. It's something that I've always kind of wondered what it's like to be in that dynamic because I I always have played it safe. I've always liked to be the I don't know that I could ever strike it out on my own, right? And 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 really take on my own company or do some I like the security of a of a job and a paycheck. And um I admire people who are courageous enough to try and go live that dream and make that work. And so that's something that I talked a lot about with the director, writer, producer, editor, brainchild of a movie that is 
uh, premiering at the Portland Film Festival. It's called Sing to Me, Sylvie. Uh, talked with Jeanette Bloom. So she put this movie together. She plays Sylvie in the film. And this is her directorial debut. This was really a project that she brought from its inception and could not have made this work uh, without Portland, both as a backdrop and as some of the resources that the city provided for a young up-and-coming filmmaker. It was interesting in listening to your conversation. There's a good chance that this film wouldn't have worked, you know, when she was in L.A. or growing up on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of fit Portland because of the resources and because of the opportunity here. But I think also for the time. Mm-hmm. For anyone who has had a dream and wondered if it was time to walk away from that dream or who wanted to, to keep pushing towards that dream, I think uh, both this movie, Sing to Me Sylvie, and Jeanette's story will resonate with you. So let's chat first kind of about your background as an artist, as a filmmaker. I know you're, you're, are you relatively new to Portland or how long have you been here? I've been here going on five years, so... It feels like it's gone really fast, but I I can't believe it's almost five years. Yeah. It it feels (laughs) like home at this point, I would imagine. It does feel like home. Yeah. I I love it here. It's been great. And it's a really great place to make a film. I lived in LA for about 10 years before this. I'm not from there. I'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) There's some, maybe some... uh, Not a Californian coming up here to Portland. Everybody calm down. (laughs) Yeah. I went there to try to be an actress and I mean I have more success elsewhere basically in every scenario I made another film before this one shot in Wyoming and using a New York production company so really there was no reason to be in LA and then coming here I sort of just put the energy out into the world that I wanted to make a film just kind of with whatever I had available to me and I found an amazing team and I, I don't know if it would have happened in LA because I think people are a little more focused on, well, just everyone's making a film. So no one really, it's not really special and everyone kind of, it's their job. They want to get paid. And not that I, I of course want to be able to pay people, but you know, I was making this for essentially no budget. So I needed people who are willing to just kind of come along on the ride with me. So definitely an element of a, of a passion project there. Exactly. Uh, For sure. That's really cool. So uh, this is your first feature length film, right? First one that I directed. Okay. What's it like being behind the camera? It is very tricky doing that and act. I just set out to do the best I could at both, even though I sort of knew maybe I wouldn't be as good at directing or as at, at acting than if I had done just one of each. But I actually ended up surprising myself and what I was able to do. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just like an adrenaline rush. Like you just go and just do it. And in a way, I wonder if that allowed me to perform maybe better than if I had. I, I don't know. It's it's hard to say because I, I've not really had much experience directing, only directing. So I, it's hard to know the difference. Sure. But I, I really enjoyed it and I might be hooked. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. Yeah. I guess uh, I, it, it occurred to me, I should probably introduce the film we're talking about. I am going, I'm going <laughs> backwards here. So uh, we're talking about Sing to Me, Sylvie, which is going to be, uh, is it premiering at the Portland Film Festival or is it just going to be showing? Showing, it's a Portland premiere. We, we did okay. have a premiere in LA and we've also played a Northwest Film Forum uh, screening in Seattle as well. Very cool. Very cool. So it'll be making its Portland premiere here this month. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the storyline here, the plot of this film. Well, it's a romance about two musicians who kind of, they were trying to make it in LA about 10 years ago and they run into each other on the street in Portland. And the guy, David, he's sort of stripped his life down and he's living on the street in order to be able to just focus on music and not have to work a day job. And Sylvie, she has gone the complete opposite direction and she's given up on music. She's married and living in a house in the suburbs, but her husband's out of town when, when they happen to meet. So she invites him to stay for three days while he's away. And they sort of spend those days exploring the city again together and starting to play music again together and sort of realizing they always had these feelings for each other that maybe they never acknowledged. Hmm. Intriguing. It's, <laughs> I, I can't wait to see it. I think partly for just the storyline and these characters, but then also the fact that it is so Portland centric. So I, I know you, uh, you kind of pulled on a lot of your own personal life experience for some of the storyline here. So tell me about living the, the starving artist lifestyle and, and just, you know, <laughs> kind of chasing that dream, how, how that has inspired some of your work. Yeah, it's not as glamorous as you would think, but <laughs> um, no, sometimes, no, I'm, I'm really grateful to have been able to live this way. I've just basically lived really cheaply my whole adult life and I've had different opportunities come up and I've made a lot of my own opportunities. But yeah, the, the story of this was kind of inspired by feeling a bit, you know, I was waiting tables at the uh Kelsbury, which is in the film, like they, uh -huh. they allowed me to shoot there. Um, oh, cool. And uh, and it's a great job. But I, you know, it's what I really want to be doing is making my art. And it had been a couple of years since I'd made my last film. And sure, I just uh, I kind of the way the story came out and the way I discovered Sylvie as a character is just thinking about what would it take for me to give up on trying to kind of make it as an artist? What would that look like? Even though it has been hard for me, I've had a, a lot of advantages in my life. I mean, really, David, Dave, both characters have elements of me in them. And David has the element of that, even though he's chosen to live on the street so that he doesn't have to work, which I could relate to, like, I, you know, I, having to work a day job is, it can be hard. Mm -hmm. But overall, he could just go live with his parents they even offered and and not everybody has that option not everybody has that luxury and Sylvie being one of them so you know the there's some fiction in, in her in that she had a troubled childhood and really doesn't have a family that she could go home to and I think that's something that I wanted to explore because the starving artist lifestyle it's hard for everyone but it, it can be a lot harder for people depending on their situation in life. Yeah, definitely. It, and it is interesting, I would think, to sit there and kind of play the what if yeah. and, and at what point you would turn away. I mean, have have you ever hit that point where you've thought like, I, I don't know if I could keep chasing this dream. I feel like that would be really hard, a tough decision. Yeah, it's hard. I think so. I've definitely had the, the thought, but then I'm 
then I often, I, it's almost like I'm stuck because I'm like, well, what else am I going to do at this point? Sure. Um, so a lot of people will congratulate me on my courage for sticking out so long, but partly it's just, you know, I, I don't have, I didn't give myself that another option really. A lot of people that I know <laughs> have, and then, and then they end up often going toward that sort of second career that, that was their backup. A lot of people end up doing that. So in a way I probably, sometimes I kick myself for not having like a sort of side job that is more lucrative, but it's probably why I'm still doing it because I don't have an out. <laughs> sure. I think back to like when I was in college and I first told my parents, like, hey, I think I want to get into local news. And they're like, you know, you mean uh, on the TV? You know, <laughs> They kind of get this raised eyebrow. I'm like, yeah, you know, like the news we watch every night. And they're like, how does one get into that yeah. job? Right. <laughs> and, and you kind of do have to take the approach of like, well, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Because if I allow myself to think I'm not going to do that or I'm going to have a plan B, then it's almost like mentally feel like you're giving yourself a way out or, you know, a way to not make it happen. I, I, it's tough. I think so. I mean, there's all kinds of different experiences out there and I don't want to doubt, like, I'm sure there's plenty of people who have, have both, but I think yeah. it gets very hard. And if you do have an out, I think it's easy to just kind of go toward that out. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I think it's great that in this story of kind of, you know, drawing on a little bit of your experience and then kind of mapping it out in other ways, you've managed to make this really cool film. And then, you know, one that you said you didn't think would be able to be made without Portland. So let's talk a little bit about how Portland factors into the story. Was it as you were kind of creating the, these characters and, and putting this story together in your mind, did you automatically place it in Portland? Uh, definitely. I mean, it's sort of, I'm living here, I'm biking to work every day, passing like one of the, there's a street piano scene where I ended up adding that just because I passed it on the street. And I was like, that's going in because it's a music film, you know, we got to have that. So yeah. it was a daily inspiration of what I passed by. And when we shot all over the city, well, a lot in the neighborhood I used to live in, which is near Kells Brewery, like Northwest area. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it, that it was just a no brainer that that is, it's all kind of takes place there. Yeah. That's really neat. That's really cool. And of course the, the production side of things also came together in a very Portland centric way. So tell me about some of the other people who worked on this film with you. Yeah, I was amazingly lucky to find uh, my director of photography, Samuel Kitaguchi, and then his sort of business partner, Christopher Polanco, uh, Sam was the DP and then Chris was almost everything else like gaffer, uh, camera op, steady cam op. And then I made them, they, they're both producers because they just, they made the film, you know, mm -hmm. it was, it was them, me and, and the actor Chris Kozak and, and then of course a few other people, but the, we were sort of the core group. And yeah, I mean, it was sort of a crazy set of events that we, I started out renting a camera that was something I could afford. And I had someone who was going to be a DP that seemed excited. And um, she was excited, but she was also just graduating from college. And she had some opportunities come up and she wasn't able to continue with the project. And Sam was Sam and Chris came in as replacements. Mm -hmm. And immediately the what they were able to do was just next level from what I thought we could achieve at this budget. So I asked them if they wanted to continue with the project and they were very much wanted to, like, it was just a win-win because they were excited for the opportunity. And 
I was super excited to have them on board. Yeah. Well, and, and Sam and Chris were both, uh, at the time, uh, both 19 year old Portland state film students, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. They're, tw- that's so cool. They're 21 now because it's been a long process, but yeah, I mean, they're just, it's amazing at this young age, how talented they are. They've been doing it since they were 12 years old or something like that. Oh, wow. So were they, were they old enough by the time you wrapped production to like go have a celebratory beer or yeah. have they had to wait, they have had to wait for the premieres now? Actually, I guess when we wrapped production, maybe they weren't, they weren't quite 21. I don't, I'm not sure, but yeah, definitely at the premiere in LA, you know, they were. Oh, that's, that's too funny. Yeah. Too funny. I mean, it seems to me, and and this is obviously an outsider's perspective. I, I am not as uh, entrenched in, in Portland's, you know, film and theater scene as I'm sure you are, but I just think Portland has, I mean, in so many ways, the city is such a hidden gem. I think when you look at film and the industry, it also seems like a bit of a hidden gem to me. There's so many things that get shot here and so many things filmed here. And there's such a creative community here. Yet it seems to kind of fly under the radar of other places, you know, yeah. like L.A., like New York, obviously. I mean, what's what's kind of your impression of the community here in Portland? I, I feel like I'm still a newbie in the film community, but I did come here. I am also an actress and I came here and got an agent right away. And I started going out on auditions way more than I got in L.A. And I've booked a few commercials here and that's mm-hmm. been some income that's come in and of course, there's way more in LA, but I think it's just there's so many people trying to all do the same thing that you're one yeah. of so many. Whereas here, it just seems a little more accessible in that way. As, as far as the filmmaking community, I think I've just been so busy with work, like my day job, and then also working on my own projects that I, I don't know if I've fully gotten into the the fold yet but I've just been lucky to find my few little people but I hope like through doing Portland Film Festival that I'll definitely meet a lot more people. Yeah I mean let's talk about that as an opportunity you know not only to connect with fellow filmmakers but to put your film in front of an audience that not only wants to see anything that is new and kind of up and coming and different but also getting to see something that is so tied into the city of Portland um, I would imagine it's going to get a really warm reception here. I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I'm very excited to see what you know comes of that. What is it like to get to participate in Portland Film Festival um, as a young filmmaker, getting to you know kind of celebrate in in all of this in the city? Oh, I'm just so excited. Um, it's you know it's a little bit of a shame it's virtual, but I know that I've heard that last year they really still did a great job, and so yeah, I'm just really excited for people to see it and. I'm excited to hear what people have to say about it and hopefully meet people and collaborate on future projects. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know it's it's been tough the last couple of years to have these things be virtual and to have it feel different. How how have you been throughout the pandemic and all that COVID has brought us? Not bad. Um, you know, I'm very lucky that I have not had anyone close to me affected directly by the virus. Well, except for some family back home, but they, they pulled through. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in a way when it, when it first hit, I was gearing up to, you know, as you know, Kells Brewery is a Irish pub and we were about to do St. Patrick's day, which is like a big crazy thing. And I just, it just, it felt like I was in the middle of making this film and it just felt 
almost like getting a snow day that that suddenly that wasn't happening anymore and I know mm-hmm. I'm sure um they're they're gonna say like it's a terrible thing that that happened and that it lost all that business and just but for me I it, it was a respite for a minute Oh, sure. Everyone thought we were going to just stay home for two weeks exactly. and catch up on our Netflix and exactly. it was all just going to be fine. Right. And, uh, you know, it's been a little different than that. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, for me, I was I just it gave me all this time to edit the film, edit what I had so far. And yeah. um, so that was I mean, I hate to say that was nice. It, it felt like a break, you know, from the grind, which was nice. But of course, now we're here a year and a half later. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I know, I mean, we've seen other parts of the industry really take a hit when you look at film and theater and just uh, so many live performance elements that I think have really, really struggled. I mean, ha- have you had friends just have, you know, projects affected or people out of work? How has that been? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um I've just been so in this world of making this film for so long that, Mm -hmm. but I know definitely people like people I knew back in LA, that was the industry just completely was at a standstill for at least the summer. And then Mm -hmm. slowly they started to find ways to be able to go back into production. And I think for the most part, they've been very safe and there's very few, there's been very few outbreaks among production, which is great because there's so many rules that they need to follow. And that's really good. So I think it seems like people are becoming more normal that, you know, we're on set, we're wearing masks, we're following the protocol and things are sort of getting close to being back to normal. Not probably not as much as, as before, but. Right. I, I say it just as tentatively as you do. Things are sort of hopefully yeah. uh, headed in the right <laughs> direction, yeah. question mark. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I know. I certainly hope so, because it, it has just been such a crazy uh, getting close to two years now I at know. this point. So it's just it. wild. It it's, it's hard to believe. Yeah. Well, I want to kind of uh, back things up to uh, some earlier years for you. You mentioned, you know, you're not from California. You grew up in the Maryland, uh, D.C. area. I know you used to play music too, right? Like you were kind of had a musical upbringing as well. I grew up ta- uh, learning piano. My grandmother was a really talented pianist and she, well, she was a piano teacher. And so there was this piano in our family that just was, you know, was, was ours um, when she passed away. So I grew up taking lessons and learning that way. But then in high school, I, <laughs> it's hard to play piano in a rock band. So I learned <laughs> guitar. I bought a guitar, guitar center and um, I was terrible at it, but I had a band then. And then when I came to LA briefly, I played in a sort of backing band for a pop singer. And then after that, I joined a band called White Lights. And that was a big part of my life for a few years. It was an amazing experience there. All the guys in that band um, were so talented. The music was amazing. And I just felt really grateful to be a part of it. And I think it was really a big part of expanding my world as an artist, because I think all the arts kind of overlap. Sure. I was also training in acting at the same time. And there was definitely overlaps between just sort of going to a vulnerable place in your acting and in performing for music Um, because we would perform all over LA a lot of really cool clubs you know it feels very cool to say like we played at the Roxy and the Troubadour yeah Um, that sounds really cool (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and just, it was just a really amazing experience. So I'm, I'll always be grateful for that experience. And it's definitely partly inspired seeing to me, Sylvie, some of the storylines between the two former bandmates. Right. So I was going to say, cause, um, yeah, your, your co-star in this movie was also one of your bandmates in White Lights, right? No, I met him here in Portland. He's, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, he's, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I read, I read my notes wrong because no uh, he's also a musician, but you guys didn't work together previously. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So. So when did you realize you wanted to be an actor? <laughs> it's funny. My mom, that's like a famous story in my family that when I was two years old, I declared, mommy, I'm going to be an actress. <laughs> she was like, I didn't even know you knew what that was. Like I was literally two years old. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but I've, yeah, I've always, I've wanted to do it since I can remember like watching, I think Julia Roberts was my idol. Like I loved, um, and also uh, Julie Andrews, like I loved Mary Poppins and Sound of Music. And mm -hmm. then uh, going into college, I, I was sort of embarrassed that I wanted to do that. I, I sort of saw it as maybe vain or I'm kind of an introverted person. Like it just maybe, I don't know. I just wasn't, for some reason I was embarrassed. And I, so I went to school for film instead, but I'm now I'm very glad I did because it kind of gave me the skills to do everything and kind of take my career into my own hands. And then in LA, when I finally did study acting, I had an amazing teacher. I studied for five years with these two teachers, uh, Berg and Meg. And they, I mean, similarly with the music, I, I just really feel like that was when I really came into my own as an artist, learning kind of the depth behind acting and what, what it really means to really act. And then now I'm proud of that. And I'm not, you know, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not just like, oh, I want to be famous. I want to be on screen. Like it, there's really an art to it that I've, I've learned. And it's definitely influenced my writing and my filmmaking as well. So it's really cool. Uh, were you a fellow theater kid like me? I was in, you know, the doing the high school plays and the musicals and stuff. Was that always part of your, uh, your, your schooling and your upbringing? It's funny. I, I tried and I definitely was in some of them, but I never got the lead part. Well, I got the lead part in fifth grade. Nice. <laughs> but in high school, I just, I don't know, I didn't, couldn't cut it. Maybe my singing voice wasn't loud enough or <laughs> so I, I would have like small parts in the, in the musicals, but. I was I was always cast as like either the mom or the the non-dancing part, like the one adult that didn't have to move around that much because I definitely had two left feet. Uh, I, I, in Beauty and the Beast, I was the wardrobe. I mean, literally, it was like sit there in a box okay. Emily, and just don't don't move around anywhere. Okay, well, we, it sounds like we have a similar high school uh -huh. musical experience then. Not, not fully the triple threat, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it definitely, I mean, it, it was such a fun thing to, uh, to get to try growing up. I feel like, especially mm -hmm. as a kid, there's things about it that I look back. I'm like, if I had to go do that now, I, I feel like I would be so much better at it because I wouldn't be so embarrassed about every little thing. Yeah. Like it seems so much harder to push out of your shell in some of mm -hmm. those ways, you know, to become a character and to be on stage even younger. I mean, do you, do you feel like there's things that from growing up being involved in, in different aspects of theater and film, do you, do you take those skills with you into every day? Oh, definitely. Yes. It's a, it's definitely about being true to who you are. I think a lot of people think of act. Well, and there's different schools of thought on acting, but at least how I learned is 
you are you are you but it's you in those circumstances and so you're learning how to be the most authentic version of yourself and definitely that gave me so much in my in my real life too because I I definitely for whatever reason was always just shy and yeah like just awkward and embarrassed to be myself almost all the time um and learning about acting and storytelling in general I think and music it's all given me the perspective on how to be true to myself and who I am. So in putting together, uh, you know, this film that is so closely wrapped into Portland, I'm curious, I just wonder how was it kind of editing this piece together over the last, you know, year and a half, I would imagine you're you're finalizing things, you're shaping the story as the Portland we know is is changing so drastically. Mm-hmm. I mean, we look at, you know, I, I moved here late 2018. So I look at the city now compared to when I first got here. And there are problems that were here before that have certainly gotten worse, things like homelessness and, and affordable housing and some of the you know, cleanliness and safety around the city. I mean, obviously those are ongoing issues that it just seems like it's definitely, it hasn't improved, you know, especially over the pandemic. And and obviously COVID has exacerbated a lot of things. How do you feel kind of putting together this story? I mean, are, are you trying to have an accurate portrayal of, of Portland in any way, or is it more kind of a backdrop for your, a more intimate story? That's a great question because right when I started, which is in 2019, um, before the pandemic, it's, it's definitely more an intimate story to, to answer that succinctly because, mm-hmm. um, obviously homelessness in the city, it, it's always been a crisis, but it's really because of the pandemic has become even just completely exponentially increased. And yeah. there's the housing crisis is a real crisis. And I don't know, I wonder if I would have written this if I was writing it now the way I did, because I've really thought about that because David, he's, it's definitely a sunny view view on homelessness because he chose that. And and then certainly that that happens, you know, like if you take the film Nomadland, for example, Mm -hmm. people make those choices sometimes in their lives. And and that was what I was going for. And I based him off of a friend, told me he had a brother in Portland who basically lived that way. He lived on the street in order to play music. And that's sort of what sparked the idea. But I do wonder if I wrote it now, if I, if I would have made that same choice, because it definitely is not addressing that issue at all. It's really about the story between the two, the two of them. So Sure. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's interesting too. I mean, there is no one size fits all to any of the issues that the city is dealing with right now. So it's hard to say that any one situation would would be found more than once, you know, who mm-hmm. who knows? It's an individualized thing, but yet it's become such a big problem. Do you think that Portland is going to be able to remain a place for creatives to come and thrive and, and find opportunity when we are dealing with some of the same issues that West Coast cities are dealing with, affordability and, and crowding oh, and things like that? It's a tough question. Like, I, I want to say yes, but I think it's going to take a lot of work because yeah. we're definitely going in the direction of all the other West Coast cities, which is nothing affordable. People can't really survive, certainly not on an artist's <laughs> income. So right, right. it's sort of depressing like to think about, but I think we just have to continue to be aware of it and take steps to to try and avoid going in that direction even more than it already is. There's so many things I'm like, I really hope we can turn a corner on this pandemic and yeah. <laughs> and then really start making some changes about 
X, Y, Z. So we'll see what the, what the future holds. So now are you still uh, working at Kells? That's funny you ask. I had stopped for a bit and I'm, I'm back starting this weekend. Oh, nice. <laughs> so come say hi. If you okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a great place to work. So I'm, I'm happy to be back. I know you said it's, it's tough sometimes, I'm sure when it's not like you're getting to do truly your passion full time, but do you feel like it's, it's an opportunity to help support that right now? Yeah, definitely. I, that's, it's, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. I, I need that support right now. So I'm very grateful to have that to fall back on when I need it. Like they took me right back, which was amazing. And um, Oh, I'm sure they did. I mean, we, we the whole uh, service industry, right, is, is just scrambling for, for people right now. Yeah, yeah. But, it's crazy busy. I hope people are nice to you. Um, Thank you. That's, that's my, I get on a soapbox right now. I'm like, people are just so rude these days. I know. <laughs> Whether it's being crazy on an airplane or being, you know, rude because there's a wait at a restaurant. And I'm like, there's, there's four people working here for dinner yeah. rush. Like, come yeah. on, yeah. come on, everybody. I don't know. I firmly believe that anyone, people should work in the service industry at least once in their life because totally. it is a hard job. And until totally. you've been there- you yeah. don't get it. And oh, it just, absolutely. it's wild. Well, yeah, we'll have to come say hi and, <laughs> uh, and cheers to this film doing super well during the festival. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you're not working either at Kells or in your films and projects, what are some other things you like to do for fun? Oh, it's a good question. I, I need to do more of those things. Um, <laughs> but I really, I really love all that this area has to offer with sort of outdoor adventures. My husband and I love camping and climbing, although we haven't done it in a while. Mm -hmm. We have a canoe. We go out. We we live in Milwaukee now and we um, there's a place called Elk Rock Island. I love to go there and explore and swim. And of course, maybe not as much in the winter anymore. But right. in the right. winter, I like to read, read a lot of books. <laughs> This is this is good book reading weather. Yeah, I know we're we're chatting on a nice gray rainy day, and when yeah. I get home today, I'm like, that's all I want to do is curl up and read with a absolutely cup of tea or something. So, mm -hmm. are are you a can you deal with the winter? Are you a person that needs a happy light? How how do you how do you deal with the cold gray months here? Well, when I first got here after ten years in LA, I loved it. <laughs> I was so excited for a rainy rainy for something day. different. Yeah. yeah. But yes, after a couple of years here, I did buy one of those lights <laughs> and I do think it helps yeah. early on. Like this day, I am excited for this rainy day, but I know maybe in three months I might feel a little less excited about another rainy day. <laughs> sure. Right. Rainy days in October are certainly more welcome than rainy days in February. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's how they are for me too. I know, you know, similar situation for me coming from Florida. I oh, yeah. was just so excited to have seasons, you know, yeah. <laughs> have the weather change. Yeah. I do think it makes you appreciate summer and spring and fall, you right. know, early fall way more. So you kind of have to live in the moment and enjoy each one while it's here because it Absolutely. does change. So yeah. what are some of your favorite fall activities during this time of year? Oh man. I mean, definitely drinking tea and reading a book, as we said, uh -huh. I love just honestly walking on a, on a fall day where it's not raining and it, it's the sun is out, but it's chilly and the leaves are falling. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I just love walking around the city, exploring. Mm -hmm. And then, well, and then soon my husband and I were whiskey and snowboard. So that's mm -hmm. really fun for the winter. Nice. Did you know how to do that yeah. before you moved here or was that an Oregon yes. activity? Yes. My parents are big skiers. They 
did that on their honeymoon. So I've kind of grew up doing it. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. I'm, I'm getting the hang of it after uh, a couple seasons here. I never skied enough as a kid to actually learn, you know, so yeah. starting on the bunny hill every two years. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is. It is a lot of fun here for sure. Do you uh, do you have a favorite ski resort if you had to pick one? We always get the pass to Meadows, mm-hmm. Mountain Meadows. So I honestly have actually only been there just because you buy the pass. So you go there. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's, I guess that's my favorite. <laughs> there you go. I will say Timberline does night skiing and the tickets are definitely more affordable than a day pass. So there's okay. a, there's a few nights I try to get out to Timberline too, just to change it up for something a little different. Yeah. I've been wanting to at least try once. So that's a great tip. I might do that. Yeah. Go check it out on a Friday evening and, you know, you get up there at sunset and ski in the dark and it's, it's just kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jeanette, what else have I not asked you about that you would want to chat about today? You've kind of answered all the questions I had kind of ready in my mind, but. Oh, yeah. I don't know. That was, I think you really covered it. Those were great questions. Awesome. Okay. I'll do a couple little rapid fire ones real quick then, and then we'll be, we'll be done. So you said that you enjoy tea and a good book. What's your favorite cup of tea? Earl Grey. Do you go for a London fog? Do you do the latte thing at all or just the, just Just the tea? Nice. (laughs) Do you have a favorite coffee or tea shop in town? Ooh, I really like either or in Selwood. I haven't been there yet, so I'll have to check it out. I (laughs) I haven't, I haven't gone into a coffee shop in this town that I haven't liked. So yeah, they're great. Portland's got a pretty good track record. So what book are you currently reading and what's next on your list? Oh man, I'm reading The Devil in the White City, which is kind of, uh, it's older, but a friend of mine, it's her favorite book. She's an architect. It's about the World's Fair in Chicago and the architects that built it. And then also a serial killer that was around at that same time. And it's it's true. So it's really oh, wow. cool, cool read. Um, what was the other question? What's up next on your list? Is there a book that you have picked out? I, I also read a lot of books on like meditation. I read I know there's a few that I have, but I can't think of right now what they are. You Are Here, uh, Tink Nhat Hong. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. The Vietnamese uh, Buddhist monk. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. very cool. Uh, do you try and meditate daily? Or are you into yoga? Or I try to. That's <laughs> a big try. <laughs> I, I feel like that's I, how a lot of people talk about meditation. I try to meditate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have a favorite food cart in the city? I don't go to food carts that much, but there was this Greek one, but I don't even know if it's still around. I guess I, I mean, I go to Whole Bowl. That's kind of a boring answer. <laughs> it's good though. <laughs> it is good. It, I think it lives up to the hype. I didn't understand it until I tried it. And then I'm like, yeah. okay, I see it now. It is. And then you, you still feel good about yourself. It's just good food. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jeanette, it's been great to talk with you. Congratulations again on your film, uh, making its Portland premiere at Portland Film Festival and best of luck in all your future projects. I I hope to say I I knew her win. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much, (laughs) Emily. It was great. I found it funny the difference between someone with a kind of an artistic brain and someone like me with a more journalism news brain. As I was listening to the end of your interview and she mentioned that she was reading Devil in the White City and she referred to it as a book about the Chicago World's Fair and an architecture book that has a serial killer in it. 
<laughs> and for me, that's a book about a serial killer that's got some architecture in it. Yes, I think uh, de- depending on <laughs> right. depending on your background, you probably do approach it with a very different uh, focal point. <laughs> Good book, though. I need to read it. I'm adding it to my list. Freakish. Scary. Yeah. Um, scary architecture. Scary architecture. Um, oh, you were talking about the, uh, the, serial, the serial killer. killer. Yeah. Real scary. <laughs> I love good book recommendations from anyone who, who says that their hobby is reading, you know, yes. who enjoys Tr- a good book. Trust their recommendation. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but I'm also really looking forward to seeing this movie. I think it's going to be a fun film. I'm looking forward to watching it through the lens of, of a Portlander, right? And, and looking for ways in which the city is kind of the backdrop for this story. I think that's uh, something that maybe someone in another city wouldn't necessarily be watching for, but I think it'll be cool to watch and just kind of see you know, how Portland really allowed this story to kind of take the stage. Um, But it's one of several films that's being featured at the Portland Film Festival this year. So I figured I'd I'd give you the rundown if you're interested. Uh, Portland Film Festival named one of the coolest film festivals in the world by Movie Maker Magazine. So uh, I'd say we're pretty cool. Uh, It's going (laughs) virtual again this year, and it's being presented by Comcast for the fifth year. So Kind of a cool thing for anyone that has Comcast, Xfinity, cable. You can actually, on your cable, say like, hey, show me the Portland Film Festival. And it will take you to... That's really cool. Yeah, it's going to show you all of the films. So a lot of what's being shown in this year's festival is available for watching on Comcast Xfinity if you've got uh, the cable. If you're still one of those corded individuals, I know they're uh, a rare breed Ru- Becoming days. more rare these days. Becoming yeah. more rare. They've got... Literally dozens of films. I think it would be hard to get through every single piece in the little more than 30 days. Uh, it's it's happening now through Monday, November 8th. And uh, you can find more at portlandfilm.org if you're interested in seeing the full lineup and, and finding your next fun film that you can um, kind of be cool and indie and hipster about and ask your friends like, oh, you haven't seen that one? It's on the film festival circuit, <laughs> which I think is just fun to say. Thanks, Emily. Have a good one. Go get some lunch, Ian. The Coin Podcast Network is your home for on-demand coverage of local news, sports, weather, and entertainment you won't find anywhere else. You can always find us on coin.com slash podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.